Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. And before I end today's episode, I will be giving you my predictions on WWE's NXT No Mercy pay-per-view, which will be happening tonight if you're listening to this on a Saturday, and AEW's Wrestle Dream, which will be happening on a Sunday. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. So we start Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw will open up with Cody Rhodes coming down to the ring. Cody is not in his ring attire. He's out here in a suit. Cody would mention how constantly, week by week, he would get interrupted by people. So he gets straight to the point. Why Jay Uso is here, and it's because of him. Thanks to uh, him, someone now has to be traded from Raw to SmackDown. Cody would tease that there is some underlining motives for him having Jay going to Raw saying that we aren't in the third inning anymore. And that's a reference to Paul Heyman saying that we're in the third inning of Roman Reigns championship run. And this was during the SummerSlam press after the event. So Cody's trying to wrap this thing up saying, hey, yo, we're almost out of here. But in baseball, you got nine innings. So I'm not certain how long we still got Anywho, Cody is basically trying to say that, well, I'm trying to get Baggy over there to Roman for the championship. Uh, the Judgment Day, they will come out because Cody stuck his nose in their business and Jay's business last week. So the Judgment Day would tell Cody that he should have mind his business because Jay is going to get his. Cody would insult Judgment Day, saying that when Rhea comes back, the Judgment Day might be titleless because during Monday Night Raw... The Judgment Day would have to defend their championships later in the night. Dom with the North American Championship and Finn and Priest with the tag team titles. This would make the Judgment Day get on the apron looking to attack Cody Rhodes in a three-on-one. But Jay Uso would come through the crowd and stand beside Cody. Now it's a three-on-two. Then Sammy and Kevin Owens would run through the crowd and come in. Now it's a four-on-three standoff. Judgment Day, they would see that the numbers are against them. They would drop off the apron and then start walking to the back. Then out walks J.D. McDonough with two chairs. He hands one off to Finn. And you see J.D. and Finn stare at one another. They walk directly to the ring. Priest is saying this isn't a good idea. Dominic, he would follow Finn. And he looks like he doesn't know whether to stay with Finn or Priest. But he still goes with Finn while he's going doing this. And you see Finn, J.D., and Dominic get in the ring. They get beat down by K.O. Sammy. Uh, Cody and Jay. This will make Damian Priest run down to the ring and try to help him out, but it was already too late. Um, Priest would get beat down by all four of those guys. Judgment Day would retreat to the back. We would get a backstage segment later in the night of JD and McDonough talking to Finn. Finn's telling him, It's all right. I know you had good intentions. And then a pissed off Damian Priest will just get in, launch a chair across the room and tell JD that he isn't a part of Judgment Day. He would never be a part of Judgment Day. He doesn't care what his intentions were, and he wants JD to get out. JD looks scared. He leaves the room. Finn and Dominic, they just look scared as well, as Priest is just asserting his dominance in this moment since Rhea Ripley isn't here. So Priest has to be the big man on campus for the Judgment Day here. Um, After this, we get to our first match of the night. Otis with Maxine Dupree going against Bronson Reed. Bronson would win this match by pinfall by hitting the Tsunami to win the match. This was a good match between Otis and Bronson. Just two big guys going at it. And I enjoyed it. 
I enjoyed it a lot, to be honest with you. You don't really get to see two big dudes going at it, and at least the way that they did here, the crowd were eating it up, so that kind of added more excitement to the match as well. So, again, great match between Bofa, Bronson, and Otis to start off Raw in-ring competition. The second match will be Tommaso Ciampa going against Ludwig Kaiser with Giovanni Vinci in Kaiser's corner. Ciampa would win the match by pinfall by hitting Kaiser with a jumping knee for the win. Now, there are cracks starting to be formed in Imperium, and you're really starting to see it in big uh, ways. Like, towards the end of the match, you saw Tommaso going to hit Kaiser with a sliding knee. Giovanni Vinci, he looks to help out Kaiser. He looks to get in the ring and distract Ciampa. Ciampa will hit Vinci with a knee. Now the referee is looking at Vinci. This allows Kaiser to get up, hit Ciampa with an insecurity to the face. And now as Kaiser is pitting Ciampa, Kaiser thinks he has to win. But the referee isn't making the count. The referee is still busy looking at Giovanni Vinci. Kaiser will get up, go over to Vinci and kick him out of the ring. And when he goes back over to Ciampa, that's when Ciampa will hit the jumping knee to win the match. Now, you will see Ciampa after the match go into the camera saying that he's going after Gunther. He wants Gunther to sign the contract. And later in the night, you will see Gunther talking to Giovanni Vinci, talking to Ludwig Kaiser. He says... I have to handle this on my own now because you two basically failed me. And he is getting at Ludwig Kaiser because now Kaiser has to be the one responsible for Giovanni Vinci. And he tells Kaiser point blank, if you fail me, we got a problem. If Giovanni Vinci fails me, he looks at Kaiser again. He tells him, that mean you have a problem. So it seems that Kaiser is going to have to be the babysitter of Giovanni Vinci. And you can just see that it's starting to really piss off Vinci and it's starting to really piss off Kaiser as well as the way that Gunther's talking to them. So I can expect somewhere down the line, those two probably turning on Gunther, but I think more than likely Vinci doing it first because Vinci's always the guy on the bottom of the totem pole just constantly getting ragged on. So that's the one I'm putting money on to probably turn first, to be honest. Uh, after this, we get T and Knox going against Natalia. And Becky Lynch will be on commentary. That's the reason why we have this match is because Tegan Knox talked to Becky Lynch backstage early in the night. And Becky basically told Tegan that last week she expected Tegan to come out to accept the NXT Women's uh, Open Challenge. And Tegan said, well, I didn't do it because Natalia is the veteran and I wanted, well, basically Natalia to have it. I didn't want to put up a fight. Becky tells Tegan for you to get advanced in this world, you can't be afraid to step on eggshells. You got to speak up and go after things that you want. So this is Tegan basically going after what she wants. She wants to now go after Becky for the NXT Women's Championship here. Natalia, she she thinks that she uh, deserves another rematch against Becky. So that's the reason why we have a match between Tegan and Natalia. Tegan will win the match by pinfall hitting the Shinies Wizard. So Tegan is... Basically, up next for the NXT Women's Championship, but Becky still has to go through Tiffany Stratton at NXT No Mercy to see if Becky will still remain champion. Now, next up, the World Heavyweight Champion, Seth Rollins. Seth will come to the ring. Seth would once again call out Nakamura so he could have a match with him. Seth would tell Nak that if he doesn't answer this challenge, then he's moving on because there are a lot of people in the back that want a shot at Seth, and Seth is a willing champion, and he wants to give people an opportunity, and Seth wants to defend the title. So a video would play, and as of Nakamura talking Japanese, they would give the subtitles underneath it, 
And the main point is Nakamura will tell Seth that Seth has one last shot to fight him, and it will be a last man standing match. Seth will look fizzled by hearing this match, but Seth would hype himself up, and Seth would declare that this match will happen at Fastlane. So, at Fastlane, we'll get a World Heavyweight Championship match between Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura in a last man standing match. Now, next match up. For the NXT North American Championship, we have Dragon Lee challenging the champion Dominic Mysterio. Dominic Mysterio would win the match by pinfall by hitting a frog splash to retain the North American Championship. This was a great match between Dominic and Dragon Lee. This, I believe, was the main roster's first time seeing Dragon Lee. If people haven't been paying attention to NXT to know what Dragon Lee can do, they got a, at least a small slimmer of what he could do because he was pulling out all the stops. He hit a hurricanrana off of the apron on Dom, and I will say this every single time I see this move being done, whether it's Ricochet doing it to someone, Santos Escobar doing it to someone, Dragon Lee doing it to someone, that move looks like it hurts like hell whenever that person's body just hits that padding on outside of the ring, and they tell you on commentary, that's only like a thin pad. The wrestlers tell you, that's a thin pad. Your body is still basically like hitting the concrete underneath that, and they still get up and still continue on going throughout the matchup. And I was still like, like just an awe whenever you heard the thud of Dom's body hit. I was like, that had to be painful. Dominic, he would just muster it on and continue going on. Uh, Dominic would hit a Michinoku driver in this, and. You can just see in this matchup that Dominic Mysterio, he has grown leaps and bounds from what he was in 2012 to what he's doing now in 2013, from the match that he had with Rey Mysterio at uh, WrestleMania to the match that he's had on NXT to the match now with Dragon Lee on Monday Night Raw. Dominic Mysterio, low-key, has been the workhorse of WWE this past year from everything that he's been doing, from character work to now on the mic to now in the ring. I mean, he has literally been the workhorse of the WWE. And I think people need to give him his props for that. And that's what I'm doing. Dominic Mysterio, the workhorse of WWE. I said it, and I don't think nobody's going to change my opinion on that, to be honest. Now, next up, Nia Jax will have an entering interview with Michael Cole. And the big question is, since Nia has been back, why has she been on a rampage? Nia will tell Michael Cole that she has proven that she is the baddest in WWE. Not Rhea Ripley, not Raquel Rodriguez, not Shayna Baszler, not Zoe Starks, not any of the women in the back. It's Nia Jax, and nobody can do anything about it. So, when she says this, Zoe Starks, she would come down to the ring. Zoe would tell Nia that she was able to attack her because Nia did it from behind. Now, Zoe wants to see Nia do it again, but this time head up. Nia would shove Zoe. Zoe would rush back to get at Nia. And now we have a little scrapping between both of the ladies. Referees and officials will come down to separate the two. We will get a match between Nia Jax and Zoe Starks. Nia would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Nihilator, which is now the name known as uh, for the Bonsai Drop. So she wins with the Bonsai Drop, the Nihilator. And that's basically it here. Again, Nia Jax, she just came back, what, I'll say two to three weeks ago. And they're trying to reestablish her again as the biggest force in WWE. And I ain't got no problem with it. I know a lot of people on the online have a problem with it. But I've already stated it before. Uh, Rhea Ripley, Raquel Rodriguez, and Bianca Belair are like the three like strongest women on the main roster. 
And I'm not even going to say main roster. Screw that. The three strongest women on the roster in WWE period right now. I'm just going to be blunt. And you mean to tell me that with Bianca on SmackDown, Raquel Rodriguez there, he gave her her shot against Rhea and he couldn't get the job done. Rhea is literally the most popular woman wrestler on Raw. And it could be argued on the WWE main roster. She needs someone to be her foil. And Nia Jax, I ain't got no problem with it. So, again, Nia, they're building her up to be the foil for Rhea Ripley. And personally, I have no problem, even though there's people crying about it. I don't got no beef with it. Now, next up, we have Miz TV with special guest Drew McIntyre. And the purpose of this was to see why Drew left Jey Uso last week to get jumped by the Judgment Day. Miz would do what he does best, and that stirred the pot. Miz would say that he would have done the same thing as Drew and say that both of them are alike in that aspect. Drew would refute that and say that he's nothing like the Miz, but Miz would have to remind Drew of all the bad things that the bloodline did to him and especially caused him to not win the championships at Clash of the Castle and mention that Jay was with the bloodline during all of this. Drew would say Karma's a bitch, so that's the reason why he didn't help out Jay last week. And when he says this, that's when the New Day, Kofi Kingston, and Xavier Woods will come out on the stage. They will get at Drew for not doing anything last week. They say that's not the Drew McIntyre that they know. Drew should have helped out Jay last week. Drew reminds the New Day of the things the bloodline has done to them throughout this whole course and say that, well, since you guys were here last week, you guys could have came out, but you guys didn't. So that's when the Miz would try to interrupt between Drew and Kofi talking between each other. And Drew would tell Miz to shut up constantly, but Miz, he would just try to get a word in. This will lead to Drew hitting Miz with a Glasgow kiss. And then it sets up a match between Kofi and Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre would win this match by pinfall thanks to Ivar, other Viking Raiders attacking Xavier Woods outside of the ring. Kofi would see Ivar beating up Xavier, and you would see Kofi wanting to leave the ring to help out Xavier, but Drew would pull Kofi in, throw him into the ropes, and then hit him with a Claymore kick to win the match. Now, after the match, Ivar of the Viking Raiders would get in the ring, attack Kofi Kingston, Drew McIntyre, he would see this, and just like last week when he didn't help Jay, he didn't help Kofi here. He would just decide to walk to the back and allow Ivar to hit Kofi with the moonsault and lay Kofi out. I've said this, and I think a lot of people are seeing this now. Uh, Drew McIntyre, he's entering his Bret Hart of 1997. And I've just been watching some Bret Hart 1997 promos. And for people that don't know, that is whenever it was a double turn of Bret Hart and Steve Austin, where the crowd was just loving like Stone Cold's um, bad attitude, his I don't care personality and all that type of stuff while Brett was still trying to be the lovey dubby good guy and people were just booing that to death and Brett got tired of it. He was just making all the sense in the world. He was basically not doing anything in the wrong. He did everything right and the crowd just hate him. Drew was basically trying to say, dude, I'm not helping Jay because uh, I'm in the right here. Why am I having to help Jay out here? Why do I have to help someone that's did me wrong? It makes no sense. And in reality, that's anybody in life. If someone does somebody wrong, I'm not going to help somebody that does me wrong. That'd be stupid. So 
I see Drew turning into Bret Hart of 97 here, and I would love to see more of how this is going, especially with the way that Drew's constantly been walking out on people. And uh, we just got to wait to see what happens next week on Raw. And I would like to see the Drew and Cody Rhodes confrontation because Drew mentioned on Miz TV that Cody, he came out last week to help out Jay, but he didn't do that of his own uh, goodwill. And again, that's some underlining tension that you can see between Drew has with Cody. So when that match actually does happen, we're really going to see the Bret Hart of 97 with Drew McIntyre. Now, we will move over into our main event for the Tag Team Championships. Is the Judgment Day's Damian Priest and Finn Balor defending their titles against the challengers Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And the winners of this match will be the Judgment Day's Damian Priest and Finn Balor to retain their championships thanks in part to J.D. McDonough uh, helping them out. Now, this match, like towards the end of the match, will be absolute bedlam chaos. You have J.D. McDonough come out. You have Damian Priest. Not Damian, God, Dominic Mysterio, uh, Cody Rhodes, Jey Uso, all like coming out to help out the opposition party. And towards the end, Damian Priest he would get hit with a Luva kick by Sami Zayn. And when the referees is outside looking at all the chaos that's happening, JD McDonough he would hit Sami Zayn in the head with the championship. This would knock Sami Zayn out. This allowed Damian Priest to cover Sami Zayn to retain his championships so Finn and Priest would win after the match there'll be still more chaos still going out you have everybody still fighting each other you have Judgment Day going against Cody uh Sammy Kevin Owens and Jey Uso you'll have referees you have backstage officials all come out to try to separate all these men but it just couldn't work and that's how Raw will go off and you can see the parallels of what they're doing with Judgment Day and the story that they're doing with Sami Zayn. And it was kind of poetic because J.D. McDonough is in the Sami Zayn role that Sami was literally in last year with 2022 with the Bloodline. Sami Zayn helped the Bloodline retain their tag titles. That's what J.D. is doing with the Judgment Day. Uh, J.D. is trying to be in the Judgment Day like Sami was trying to be in the Bloodline. You have Damian Priest playing the role of Jay Uso of not wanting JD in the Judgment Day the same way that Jay Uso didn't want Sammy in the bloodline. You have Finn playing the Jimmy role, where Finn is cool with JD the same way that Jimmy was cool with Sammy, and you want to see Finn in like indoctrinate JD into the Judgment Day the same way that Jimmy was cool with having Sammy following the bloodline. You have Rhea and Dom basically playing the Roman Reigns of Paul Heyman role with Rhea, you know, playing Roman and Dominic being the Paul Heyman. So you can see where this story is basically going with the Judgment Day and Sami Zayn and JD McDonough. Everything just seems like it's playing back from 2022. And I have no beef with that because the real life connection between the JD and a Finn Balor being in a group together, still with uh, Damian Priest being Mr. Money in the Bank. He's still having that opportunity to be a world champion. You know that's going to cause some friction between Finn and Damian Priest when that cash-in comes in. And you know JD's probably going to have to cover for his boy Finn, or he might be the one to kick his boy Finn out and take Finn's role. 
We don't know what's happening. Again, that's the one curveball that we have with the story, with the bloodline. Not bloodline, God. Judgment Day here. So, again, it's the same, but it's different. But I like what they're doing with the Judgment Day. I like what they're doing with Cody. They're just constantly having Cody dealing with this right now until he gets to Drew, because that'll be his next, next big test for himself as he's trying to get back to Roman Reigns with the World Championships at WrestleMania. But... We'll just have to wait and see how everything goes. And also the story of Jay. He's trying to pay penance. He's trying to get everybody to forgive him and everything else. But we got to see how this uh, all works out next week on Monday Night Raw. So with that, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlight of the Week. Now we move over to NXT. And the first thing I want to say before I go off to NXT, that Tuesday morning slash afternoon, it will be announced that Jay Cargill of AEW has now been signed to WWE. It was reported by ESPN. And then you would get higher-ups from WWE tweeting about it or retweeting the post. Uh, Twitter would have Triple H uh, retweeting it. WWE's own personal Twitter page, retweeting it. Uh, some AEW, even wrestlers, would even like comment under it. And it was all nothing but congratulations to Jade. So it shows that Jade left on uh, great terms with AEW and especially the wrestlers that are there. And on Twitter as well, you would see her walking into the WWE Performance Center. So Jade is now in the WWE system. So, congratulations to Jade Cargill. Now, moving over into what happened on NXT. First thing that will happen is the finals of the Global Heritage Invitational. Butch going against Joe Coffey. Butch would win the match by pinfall by hitting the bitter end. So, now Butch will be facing Noam Dar for the Heritage Cup at No Mercy. Which I kind of already knew that was going to happen. Because, again, as I stated, a wrestling trope, whenever it's for a big... Uh, accomplishment or a championship, you hardly ever get a bad guy versus a bad guy, even though Joe Coffey going against Noam Dar would have been a great match. A good guy versus a bad guy is always usually the formula. So Butch going against Noam Dar, it's still going to be fine. It's, I feel that it's going to be great no matter what. And I think we might even get like the debut of Sheamus even going down to NXT to uh, back Butch up along with Rich Holland at uh, No Mercy. But we'll have to wait and see about that. Um, next matchup will be Trick Williams going against Joe Gacy with Ava Rain in Gacy's corner. Trick Williams would win the match by pinfall by hitting a high knee strike when Joe Gacy would look to hit the upside for the win. Now, after the match, Trick Williams, he would be interviewed in the ring. And the question that will be asked to him was, who does he think is going to walk out with the NXT Championship at no mercy, whether it be Carmelo Hayes or Ilya Dragunov? Trick would say that Ilya Dragunov does hit hard, but he knows that his boy Carmelo Hayes is going to retain his NXT championship. And Trick will have to stop for a moment. And Trick will say, Melo has his championship. Now it's time for me to go after my own. So Trick will leave the ring. Later in the night, you will see Trick walk up to Shawn Michaels' office and knock on his door. And you will see him talk to Shawn. We don't see it. We already know he's doing it. And... Later in the night, you will see backstage uh, Tyler Bate talking to Axiom because they were supposed to be in a triple threat match with Dragon Lee to see who's going to be facing Dominic Mysterio for the North American title at No Mercy. Trick Williams will walk into the locker room and tell Axiom and Tyler Bate that that triple threat match is now turned into a fatal four-way match. So Trick is added to that match, and we will see who will be facing Dominic uh, at No Mercy later in the night. 
Now, moving on from that, Baron Corbin versus Josh Briggs will be our third matchup of the night. Baron Corbin would win this match by pinfall by hitting the end of days. After the match, Baron Corbin, he will grab a microphone and he will tell Braun Breaker that he hoped he was watching because this result will be the same at No Mercy when those two have a match. Braun Breaker will come to the ring and we will get a brawl between Baron Corbin and Braun. Um, security will come in to break it up and this wouldn't end because later in the night as well, you would see Baron and Braun once again battling with each other as Baron was trying to leave the arena. Now, after this, we will have Hank Walker and Tank Ledger going against OTM, which is the group name for Bronco Nima and Lucian Price with scripts. OTM stands out of the mud. OTM would win the match by pinfall thanks to scripts interfering. Scripts would hold uh, Hank's leg and Nima would throw Tank into Hank knocking Tank out of the ring. This allowed Nima and Price to hit an assisted spine buster for the win. Now, the reason this match was happening was Tony D'Angelo and Stax, they invited top tag teams to their family restaurant. So, already there was the Creed Brothers and Los Lotharios, Humberto Carrillo, and Angel Garza. The winner of this tag match will be the fourth team joining this tag team dinner, so OTM, they win this match, they go off to that dinner, and the gist of this was, Tony D'Angelo and Stax would tell the tag teams that they want to face every single one of those teams at No Mercy in their first ever NXT uh, tag team title defense on a premium live event, because they don't want to hear nobody's have an excuse when Tony and Stax face a tag team. They don't want to hear no excuse saying they pick the easiest one or they pick their favorite ones. So that's the reason why at No Mercy, we will have a fatal four-way tag team match for the tag team titles. So we have Stax and Tony going against Creed Brothers, going against Humberto Carrillo and Angel Garza, going against OTM. Now, next up, we will have the strap match between Eddie Thorpe and Dijak. Eddie Thorpe would win this match by pinfall by hitting an elbow drop from the second turnbuckle onto Dijak for the win. After the match, Dijak would attack Eddie from behind with the Feast Your Eyes. Dijak would then get Eddie Thorpe in a tree of woe and hit him constantly with his belt, the same belt that Dijak used on Eddie Thorpe's tree that he uses just to get away and just to meditate. Um, Eddie Thorpe's family was there behind the barricade watching this match. Throughout this match, Dijak, he would just constantly play to Eddie's family just to beat up Eddie in front of his family, knowing they can't do anything about it. So he was just basically torturing Eddie in front of them. And his niece was there, and you would see the niece kind of like yelling passionately for Eddie to get up and do something to Dijak. She didn't want her uh, uncle to be beat up. So I found that, again, with the family element that WWE is starting to add with, um, the children, it's not a bad look. I have no problem with them using this uh, situation because if the only thing it's going to do is basically make Eddie Thorpe and Dijak's feud at least more uh, relevant and more, I would say more, not sensational, but more meaningful. Because when you have family members usually shown on television worried about another person that's in wrestling and beat up, it adds more meaning to a rivalry, especially with the one that Eddie and Dijak are having. And I feel that they're trying to just build Eddie Thorpe up and they're trying to build Dijak up the best way that they can. 
So with them doing the family angle here, I'm not mad at it at all as a viewer. So hopefully they get the results that they wanted out of this. Now, next up, we will have Danny Palmer going against Thea Hale with JC Jane in Thea's corner. Thea's out here in new gear. She's wearing black gear, black, like, toxic attraction-ish type gear because JC's trying to turn Thea into a more grown-ish style woman because that's the way that Thea wants to be portrayed as because she wants to get away from Andre Chase and Andre Chase University, all that stuff. So, Thea comes out here in new gear, new music. Thea still would win by submission by locking in the Kumura lock on Danny Palmer to win the match. And after the match, you would see JC hug Thea, and JC would look up to the NXT perch. And on the perch, you would see um, both Andre Chase and Duke Hudson standing there, and JC would blow a kiss over to them because now JC has control over Thea Hill and Andre sees exactly what's going on. He's not liking it, but there's nothing that he can do about it. So right now, Andre just has to wait until Thea Hill comes to her right mind to join back with Andre Chase University. And Duke Cousins trying to help Andre Chase understand that, but it's going to take him some time. At least that's what the story that's been told to us right now. Next up, we'll go to our Fatal 4-Way match. Number one contender for the NXT North American Championship. Trick Williams, Dragon Lee, Axiom, and Tyler Bate. Trick Williams would win this match by pinfall when Dragon Lee would hit the Destino onto Axiom and then cover him. Trick would get in the ring, grab Dragon Lee by the head. Dragon Lee would headbutt Trick, and Trick would then bump into Tyler Bate, who was on the apron, and knock him off the apron. Trick's body would then fall on top of Axiom for the win. So now you have Trick Williams going against Dominic Mysterio for the NXT North American Championship at No Mercy. And also for the special guest referee, we were going to have Dragon Lee because um, Dominic still has beef with Dragon Lee. And Dominic has beef with Shawn Michaels, who runs NXT. He tells Shawn point blank that you don't run NXT. I do. So Shawn just uses his power to have Dragon Lee be the special guest referee in Tricks and Dominic's match at No Mercy. So that's great here. Also, the Fatal 4-Way match with all four of these guys, it was absolutely great. Trick Williams being able to perform twice in one night, that proves that he's on another uh, caliber than what people would credit him with, so congrats for that. Dragon Lee, Axiom, and Tyler Bate, we all know that they are high-level competitive wrestlers, so you already knew you were going to get a good match with that, but all guys in this match were able to pull their weight and even bring people up to where they need to be. And you know who I'm talking about. Not in a bad way. Trick Williams, again, he's the least experienced out of all three of these guys. But he didn't look out of place in this match with all three. That's basically what I mean. So that's why I say that they helped pull him up to their level. So, again, Trick Williams, him performing two nights, was two times in one night was great. And also him performing against Dragon Lee, Axiom, and Tyler Bate, it helped raise his stock as well. Now, after this, you will see him go backstage. He goes and meet Melo. And Melo's coming out to um, come out for his contract signing. You'll see Trick walk up to Melo. Melo will dap him up and say that at no mercy, we both will be walking out as champions. And it seems that Melo's got his head focused on right now because earlier in the night when Trick was trying to tell Melo about what's going on with him right now, Melo wouldn't be focused because he was focusing on his own business and not Trick. And Trick is trying to look for the reciprocation that he's been giving to Melo all this time. So when Melo finally gave Trick that 
towards the end of the night before he goes off for the contract signing. It seems that Trick was good with that. They both were good, and they're both back on the exact same page. Trick and Mellow Gang still staying together. So it's good to see that. It's good to still see that you're seeing the fabrics of this relationship between Trick and Mellow be messed with and toyed with. You don't know if they're going to stay together. You don't know if they're going to break up. You don't know what's going to happen because they're in an actual friendship. And I feel that that's how they're basing this thing off with two guys. They could be close to one another. And then one thing could just set one person off and that person knows what it is. And that could probably end the friendship. And you're going to get that. And I feel we're going to get that between Trick and Melo because in this contract signing between Ilya and Carmelo, you will get the usual back and forth between Ilya and Melo which you do in all contract signings, but there was a specific comment that Melo said to Ilya, and it pertained to Melo losing his confidence, but he had to regain his confidence because he was worried about Ilya Dragunov, but he's not worried about Ilya Dragunov no more because he's not those guys that Ilya has beaten, and he ran down the names. He said he's not a uh, Tyler Bate. He's not a Trick Williams, and when he said Trick, he caught himself. And Ilya even caught him when he said that, and Melo had to catch himself. So you can see that I feel that Trick is probably going to say something to Melo at no mercy about that comment, and Melo's probably going to brush it off because he's going to tell him that, you know, I didn't really mean that, but I got a big match. I got to focus on that. So again, we're going to see the fabrics of their relationship being tested more and more. But the contract signing was a simple contract signing between Melo and Ilya, to be honest. The only thing that was interesting about it was literally that comment that Melo made about uh, Trick Williams being a guy that Ilya beat, and he isn't like them. So, again, contract signing great, but I feel the NXT was all about Trick Williams, and I'm glad for it because it's showing that Trick Williams is no longer in the shadow of Carmelo. He's becoming his own man, and uh, for the Trick Williams character and Trick Williams the person, that's great because we've seen a lot of people be in the shadow of someone and never ever get to that position that they need to be. And Trick Williams, he has the fan support. Even Booker T, he's getting uh, into it with Trick Williams' music hits. He is enthusiastic. So Trick Williams has the support of the people in NXT. So it shows that he is going to be one of those guys that's coming up to at least, if not be in the main event of NXT, at least going after the North American title and at least being a North American champion to be looked at as a main eventer somewhere down the line. So, again, NXT was all about Trick Williams, and it was good uh, for Trick, in my personal opinion. Now, with that being said, that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we go over to AEW Dynamite. However, before I talk about Dynamite, I'll just include a little bit of tidbits that happened on AEW Collision that happened last week. On Collision, in the main event, you had Brian Danielson going against Ricky Starks in a Texas death match. That match was great, and Brian Danielson would win the match by hitting the Boseco knee when his knee was wrapped up in a chain to beat Ricky Starks. This was a bloody match between both of them. Uh, Ricky, he bled a little bit. Brian, he bled uh, from his head. Um, Brian Danielson, he had Ricky in the label lock the same way that he did at All Out when he had Ricky in the strap match, and he had the strap around Ricky's neck in the label lock. He had that here, but not with a strap. He did it with a chain, and Ricky was about to pass out and fade away. And you could even see it in Ricky's face and even mouth out the word, God, no. And he did not want to uh, fall to the same fate. He had to roll around to get out of the label lock and start beating up on Brian. So that told you that Ricky did learn from the strap match with Brian. Um, 
it was a great match between both of those guys. I would say if you have enough time and you can find somewhere to find it, and you didn't see Collision, at least with uh, Brian Danson going against Ricky Stark, I would say go out your way to find that match. It was a real good match. Also, you had Jay White going against Andrade El Idolo, and Jay White would win the match. That was also a great match. And also, Julia Hart, she would go against, I believe it was, Sky Blue. Um, she was supposed to go against Willow. That didn't happen. But she ends up beating uh, Sky Blue, and she makes her attention known that she is going after Chris Statlander because that was the last time she uh, lost in a match. So she calls for a match for Chris Statlander, and we do get that be made official at Wrestle Dream. So we have for the TBS Championship, Julia Hart going against Chris Statlander for the TBS Championship. Now, with that being said, let's go off, go off to uh, AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will open up with the AEW International Championship defense. Ray Phoenix defending his title against Jeff Jarrett, who will have his entourage with him. Ray Phoenix would win the match by pinfall by reversing a figure four into a small package to win the match. Now, next up, you will have the Don Callis family coming down to the ring which consists of Don Callis, Kenosuke Takeshita, and Sammy Guevara. Um, first, they will play a video of Takeshita and Don Callis being in Japan, beating up Kota Ibushi in Kota's own dojo. Takeshita would hit Ibushi in the head with a weight bell, so this would knock Ibushi out. Then you would see Takeshita take off his black jacket and start choking out Ibushi with the black jacket. So you have that video played. Don says that he basically just took out Kenny Omega's heart because that was what Don and Takeshita wanted to do to try and take everything away from Kenny. And since Ibushi is Kenny's heart, they got their mission accomplished there. Uh, Sammy would re-say again that he isn't the villain or that he shouldn't be viewed as the villain. He should be viewed as the hero. Chris Jericho held him back. Sammy Guevara was tired of it. So that's the reason why he's no longer siding with Chris Jericho. And now he's with the Don Callis family. And now we have our match being made official at Wrestle Dream. As of right now, it is still Will Ospreay, Sammy Guevara, and Kenosuke Takeshita going against Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, and Kota Ibushi. Um, after this, we will have our number one contenders triple threat match for the International Championship. Nick Jackson versus Brian Cage versus Claudio Castagnoli. Nick Jackson would win this match by pinfall. When Claudia would hit Brian Cage with a Ricola bomb, and Nick Jackson would hit Claudia with a springboard Hurricanrana to knock Claudia out of the ring, Nick would then pick up the win by pinning Brian Cage. Now, with this, Nick Jackson will be facing Ray Phoenix next week on Dynamite in Dynamite's four-year anniversary special. I like this match because Excalibur mentioned that this will be their rematch from episode, I believe, eight of Dynamite. So. I'm going to uh, really be focusing on that matchup. And I thought anybody could win this match. And I think the whole crowd would have been happy with it. Because Nick Jackson versus Phoenix, we know what they're capable of. Uh, Brian Cage versus Phoenix, I think people know what those two are capable of. We have not seen... Hold up, yeah, we did. We got, we got to see Ray Phoenix versus uh, Claudio. And I don't remember much out of that match. But I wouldn't mind seeing it again. Because I know what Claudio can do when he's in a high-pressure... Uh, situation. The last time they faced each other, it was Claudio was the Ring of Honor champion and Ray Phoenix was the tag team champions of Ring of Honor. And again, I don't remember much about that match, but with it being a title match, I think Claudio and Ray Phoenix would have put on a bar burner. I think Brian Cage and uh, Phoenix would have put on a 
barn burner, but would it be Nick Jackson? You know Nick and Phoenix, they're both the high-flying uh, members of their respective tag team, so you know they're going to do some stuff in their rematch next week for the International Championship, so I can't wait to see it. Now, next up, you will have Better Than You, Baby, coming down to the ring. I do want to make mention of this, that they did play a video of Better Than You, Baby, going out fishing. I believe it was last week after MGF defeated Samoa Joe. And the premise was this, was that MGF was going to take out Adam Cole, hit him with the Dynamite Diamond Ring, because MGF is still insecure. He still sees that Adam Cole is his one true friend, and Adam Cole shouldn't have no other friends, because he got at Adam a little bit. By being on the phone with Roddy last week, Adam wouldn't see MGF put the Dynamite Diamond Ring on his pinky, but he has a feeling that MGF did that, and he told MGF point blank, listen, I think as friends we need to have an open conversation, and he tells Max that, listen, you're my best friend, but also Roddy's my best friend. It's normal for people to have more than one best friend. MGF acting like a shot kid, he would tell Adam, are you serious? Adam would say, yeah. It's cool to have more than one best friends. MGS tells Adam, not for me, but I understand he's your friend, and I guess you could have more than one best friend, so yeah, we're cool. So with that out of the way, we now go to Better Than You, Bebe, being in the ring. Adam Cole, he comes down to the ring on crutches, and this is because of the actions that he took last week when he jumped off the platform from Dynamite, uh, the platform that was connected from the stage to the ring, he jumped off that instead of going down the steps to show how much of a rush that he was trying to get to MJF. And by doing this, Adam Cole will explain to everyone that his ankle completely exploded and he tore some ligaments in his leg. So Adam Cole now requires surgery. So that will put Adam Cole in MJF's match against the Righteous at Russell Dream in jeopardy. Adam Cole will look to relinquish the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. MGF will cut Adam off and say that he will wrestle the Righteous in a handicap match at Wrestle Dream for the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles, and he plans on defending and retaining the tag titles. MGF will tell Adam to heal up because the tag team titles will be waiting for him when he gets back. Now, when MGF says this, you will hear the obnoxious yell of Adam from Roderick Strong as Roddy is being wheelchaired out by the Kingdom. Roddy would tell Adam that he needs him at this time. MGF being MGF, he tells Roddy point blank that he thinks and he knows that Roddy's a simp, but he will look at Adam and say that Adam needs to be with his friend right now. And he gives Adam basically his blessing to go be with Roddy and basically just heal up. So Adam and MGF would hug each other. Adam would leave the ring and start going up the ramp with his crutches. So, Better Than You, Bebe, is kind of on hold right now as Adam Cole has to uh, go out with surgery. Now, MGF's in the ring by himself, and all of a sudden, you will hear Jay White's music hit. Now, Bullet Club Gold will come out on the stage, but Jay White would send everyone to the back. Jay White will come down to the ring by himself, and now you get the standoff between MJF and Jay White. Something that people wanted to see also when Jay White entered AEW because Jay White is one of those guys. He was basically the Gaijin face of New Japan, and people wanted to see him come over to AEW and have that little face off with a MJF. And now that we have Jay White signed to AEW, now we finally get that uh, stare down, and we're going to get that mic battle between MJF and Jay White. And I'm about to play you the audio from this mic battle between 
those two men. In my career, I've been compared to a lot of people. I have, and the sentiment was always the same. Sure, MJF is good, but he's no blank. Sure, MJF is good, but he's no blank. And as my star rose, the names got bigger and bigger, and the goalposts keep moving, and it never bothered me until I read, sure, MJF is good, but he's no Jay White. You see, I didn't understand why it offended me at first, but now we're standing eye to eye in my ring. It's become very apparent to me why. You see, Jay, these people know better than anyone. I'm like a fine filet mignon. Thing about filet is it's its own thing. If it's on a plate, sure, you could have other crap surrounding it, but the plate's all about the filet. Much like when I'm inside this ring, the show is all about MJF because nobody is on the level because I'm a generational talent, babe. However, even the smartest of wrestling fans, you've managed to confuse them into believing that you and I are on the same level. You've managed to convince them that you are also filet mignon when in reality, Jay White, you're tofu. It takes on the flavor of whatever you want it to, but you need to add something to it in order to trick yourself into believing it has taste. And Jay White, you have been given everything. The cool entrance, the cool nickname, the cool theme music, the cool t-shirts, big match opportunities. You were handed the keys to one of the greatest wrestling factions of all time. However, if I pluck it all away, I am left with nothing but boring. Whenever our names are mentioned in the same sentence, it will read as follows. Sure, Jay White's good, but he's no Maxwell Jacob Friedman because I'm better than you. That's what I came out here for, my very own, personalized, authentic MJF experience. But I have to be honest with you, Max, I'm a little bit let down and some things a little bit different, a little bit off about you these days. Personally, I don't know if it's the injuries, but I think you're a bit distracted with your new bromance with Adam Cole, baby! Woo! Say, well, I just love it when they do that. You say his name, they scream, baby! I bet you wish they would do that for you, but I just don't think they love you like they love Adam Cole. This whole situation with Adam Cole, if you think about it, it's, it's kind of my fault. Let me explain. You see, if I didn't temporarily end Adam Cole's career at Forbidden Door Episode 1, then maybe you don't develop a soft spot for him on his way back to the ring. Then you guys don't tag together, you don't become best buds, you don't become Ring of Honor tag team champions together, you don't have the Wembley main event together, you don't have him try to break your neck at Wembley, but hey, I guess you got him back because his ankle's broken and that was your fault. So yeah, Max, I think I've been ruining your life from afar for a little while now, but good news. I'm here now, up close and personal, to ruin it in the flesh. Because, yeah, I'm taking the thing that matters the most from you. 
Kind of funny how the all elite wrestling world heavyweight champion doesn't seem so elite when compared to Switchblade Jay White. Number one asset in all of pro wrestling, the last rock and roller, the man that single-handedly sold out Madison Square Garden and the United Center. I'm King Switch, baby. I'm the only Grand Slam champion that matters. I'm high rolling in Denver with the Bang Bang Gang. I'm the catalyst of professional wrestling. And I, not you, I will be a truly elite champion when I peel this away from your carcass and then you can go and sulk and sob with all your loser paws because you're just like them. You're their scumbag. You will have them, they will have you, and I will have the triple B, baby! And you can all breathe with the switchblade, the new and true AEW World Heavyweight Champion, Switchblade Jay White, because it's still my era. This is the switchblade era, because MJF, you've gone soft, and you know it. Now, with both MJF and Jay White both trading bars with each other, MJF will look to get antsy, and he looks to try to put hands on Jay White. He starts taking off the belts. He starts taking off his shirt. He looks like he wants to fight Jay. Jay starts taking off his jacket a little bit, but as soon as MJF comes rushing over to Jay, Jay would dip out of the ring. So we have a potential match between Jay White and MJF on the roll and you know what? This is great. I'm glad we're getting this because you know what? MGF has been dealt a really bad hand every time he gets these big moments. And I'll list them out for you. Uh, his first match on pay-per-view was going against Cody. Everybody focused on Cody's tattoo. His matchup that he was supposed to have against Moxley, it was in front of nobody during the COVID era. His first shot at the World Championship. That's when that happened. Um... His matchup that was supposed to happen with Warlow. We all know what happened there. MJF kind of had bad feelings backstage. He wasn't feeling it. So he ends up dipping and kind of costing Warlow his big moment there. Um, next thing you know, he comes back all out 2022. Punk and the whole brawl out situation. So we don't get to see the continuation of that storyline there. And also people in that storyline kind of got left directionless with people in the firm, that whole thing disintegrating. Um, now, again, with Punk coming back and we're supposed to do a whole real-world champion versus the AEW world champion, that got crapped on because Punk got fired. And now with this, with Adam Cole being injured, ta-da, we're back to square one with MGF having nobody, and now we insert Jay White to kind of fill in that spot. So every single time MGF gets a big moment, it always goes directly down the hill. So he's been dealt a real crappy set of hands every time in these big moments. However, MGF always come out the other end doing something great and being the caliber of wrestler that he is, being the professional that he is, and he's able to make something great. And I'm not saying Jay White isn't able to make something great. I'm just saying look at all the bad cards that MGF was dealt in that situation that I just labeled to you, you can only do but so much to make something right. MGF has always been able to knock it out of the park with every single one of them, so I have no problem that he's going to have no uh, 
problem with this, with Jay White knocking this one out of the park, but Jay White, he's going to be able to hold his own like he did with MGF here in the mic battle between those two. Um, but yeah, I'm glad we got MGF going against Jay White. It looks like we're getting that, but it's just not right now as it seems because I'll get more into that later, like towards the end of Dynamite, and you'll know what I mean if you saw it. Um, next up, we have the Fatal 4-Way match. We have Matt Jackson going against Penta, going against Austin Gunn, going against Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy would win this match by pinfall by hitting Matt Jackson with the orange punch for the win. So now Orange Cassidy has some momentum with himself and Hook going against the Young Bucks, Lucha Brothers, and the Gun Club at Russell Dream. So that match is happening there, and the winners of that match will be the number one contenders for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. Now, next matchup will be Willow Nightingale going against Julia Hart with Brody King in Julia's corner. Julia would win this match by pinfall by hitting a moonsault after Willow missed the cannonball. Now, after the match, Julia will lock in Heartless, which is a uh, knead-up version of the Ring of Saturn on Willow until Chris Statlander would run to the ring to make the save. Chris would run into the ring, try to clothesline Julia. Julia would roll out of the ring. Chris would give chase to Julia until Julia would hide behind Brody King, and that will stop Chris Statlander right in her tracks. Now we get some uh, momentum. Julia has the edge going against Chris Statlander at Russell Dream for the TBS Championship. That's all this moment was made for. Now, the segment to end AEW Dynamite, the contract signing between Swerve and Hangman Page, it was made known that both the Elite and Mogul Embassy have been barred from ringside as his contract's being signed. Um, the main gist of this was that Swerve, he did what he did to Hangman, and Swerve wants Hangman's spot, and Hangman would tell Swerve that he was right. A couple weeks ago, when Swerve told Hangman that he wasn't hungry, he didn't have that passion, he didn't have that fire, and Hangman would tell Swerve, you're right. That was something that I knew about myself deep down for some time, but now he's found that fire, he's found that hunger again, so he basically is giving Swerve what he wants at Russell Dream, a uh, hungry, determined cowboy. So that's what we're going to get at Russell Dream. Uh, Hangman would say something to Swerve, and I believe it's of the effects that Swerve isn't going to be able to beat him at Russell Dream. This will make Swerve slap Hangman Page, and when Swerve goes to sign his name on the contract, Hangman would stab Swerve's hand with a pin. Now, this would have the security come in the ring, separate both guys, and they would show the signature of AEW Dynamite right there because this is whenever Dynamite would usually go off when they show the signature. But we would go backstage, and we see four mysterious guys all in black with black uh, hoods beating up and kicking on Jay White, who's on the ground. And we see them pick up Jay White, throw him into the wall, and they just leave Jay White laid there. And we see one of the guys looking at the camera, and the guy is wearing MJF's devil mask, the same mask that MJF came back with whenever he uh, re-debuted in AEW at All Out 2022 last year. So right now, it's all up in the air. We don't know who these four guys are. I like that they brought back this fallen storyline last year because if people remember from all out last year the mystery guys the exact same way that we had mystery guys like take out the competitors and the 
ladder match for the casino like chip for the winner to cash in that championship anytime they felt like it. You had guys come in in black, beating up everybody, and you had one guy climb up the freaking ladder, grab the chip, end up being Stokely Hathaway, and ends up being the firm. We now know it's MGF, and it was basically MGF's new group of the firm. So I'm glad that we're bringing this thing back. So now you got an idea. Maybe it's MGF. Maybe he hired new uh, guns to go after. Jay White says MGF is literally by himself since Adam Cole is out with the injury. But we have no idea right now. Everything's still up in the air. But I do like that they're bringing this back personally. Now, with that being said, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now we move over to Impact Wrestling, and Impact Wrestling will open up with X Division Championship matchup between the champion Chris Saban going against the challenger, Allen Angels. Chris Saban will retain his championship by pinfall by hitting the cradle shock to retain his championship. Allen Angels put up a hell of a fight against Chris Saban. He was target uh, Saban's arm majority of the match, and even at one point he would distract the referee, he would hit Chris Saban with a low blow, and even... Uh, hit Saban with a roundhouse kick to the face, and you would think that would put Chris Saban down, but that didn't. He would go for the frog splash. Uh, Chris Saban would move out of the way. That's when Angels would hit the mat, and that's when Chris Saban would hurry up, grab Angels up, and hit him with the cradle shock. So, Chris Saban is still your exhibition champion. After the match, a video will play of New Japan Pro Wrestling's Kenta highlights, and at the end of that video... It would read, Kenta is coming to Bound for Glory. And it will be made official later in the night that at Bound for Glory, it will be Chris Saban going against Kenta for the X-Division Championship. Now, next match up will be Rhino going against Jack Price. Basically a squash match. Rhino would win the match by pinfall by hitting the gore. After the match, Steve Macklin would come down and attack Rhino from behind. Steve is still upset with Rhino for causing him his Feaster fired briefcase, which had the world championship opportunity inside of it. So Steve at first would have the offense on Rhino until Rhino would turn it around. Rhino would hit Steve with a belly to belly suplex, then look to hit Steve with the gore, but Steve would roll out of the ring. And that's how this segment would end. Later in the night, Steve Macklin would roll up to Bully Ray and try to tell Bully Ray where was he because. Macklin and Bullery have this deal that they basically stick together side by side and that Macklin helped Bullery out with his problems with PCO and now it's time for Bullery to return the favor. Uh, Macklin would ask Bully to help him out with the Rhino problem. Bully would tell Macklin that he's known Rhino for 25 years and he'll talk to him. Macklin hearing this, he would say that Bully has gone soft. He would say whether it's because Devon came back for the thousandth episode of Impact and they had their little reunion or it's because of his relationship with Rhino, Bully Ray has gotten soft. So when Macklin would say this and walk away from Bully, you would see Bully's face just being stunned. So now we might be thinking Bully Ray might join up with Macklin and still stick to their deal or he might take offense to that. We'll just have to wait and see. Now, next up, we will have Julia coming down to the ring. For people that don't know, this is Joe Hendry and Yuya Uramura. This is supposed to be Yuya uh, goodbye ceremony because Yuya, last week, he had a brief case that contained the pink slip from the Feast of Fired. So, we're supposed to be this whole uh, last time we see Yuya Uramura here. Joe would say that he doesn't regret teaming with Yuya. They had a blast. 
uh, entertaining the people. And when Joe would hand the mic over to Yuya, and before Yuya could even say words out of his mouth, the rascals would come out to the ring, and the rascals, they would act like jerks, taunt Joe and Yuya about Yuya being fired. This would lead to Joya attacking the rascals. The rascals would retreat out of the ring, and this would lead to Santino Morella, who is like the commissioner, to come out and announce a tag matchup between the two teams and made the condition that if Joya wins, Yuya Yurimura would get his job back. So this is basically Yuya's second chance to retain his uh, job. So we have the matchup. It's a pretty good matchup between both teams, to be honest. I thought this would have been like a wash, to be completely honest with you. Nope, but you had a back and forth between uh, both teams, but the Rascals would win the match by pinfall, thanks to Trey spraying Yuya Yurimura in the face with the spray paint, then get him in a roll-up for the win. So Yuya, he is still out of here, and I still expect him to go back to New Japan. I think his excursion was up, to be honest with you. And that's the reason why they had to do that whole uh, pink slip, Feast of Fire thing with Yuya Yurimura. But uh, I suspect Yuya to go back to New Japan, and we're probably going to be seeing him right around uh, December or probably November with a new gimmick in uh, New Japan. That's usually how it works, so he can have a match at Wrestle Kingdom. At least that's my belief. Um, but yeah, that's what happened here. Now, next up, we have a Memphis street fight with the two tag teams of... Tommy Dreamer and Heath going against Kenny King and Sheldon Jean. Tommy Dreamer and Heath would win this match by pinfall when Tommy would smash Sheldon Jean through a table with a Death Valley driver. Now, with Tommy doing this, he would cover Sheldon to win the match, and that's how Tommy Dreamer and Heath would win. The weapons that were used during this match was uh, table, ladders, steel, trash can, I want to say chairs as well. I believe those are the only weapons that were used in this. I don't remember no Kindle sticks or anything like that, like the standardized stuff. And also, I would like for more wrestlers to emphasize on this. Whenever it is a street fight or it's a uh, false count anywhere, I would like for them to go back to wearing actual street fighting gear. Because in this match, you had Heath wearing jeans and a t-shirt. You had Kenny King wearing wearing like uh, athletic sweats. Sheldon Jean, he wore... Uh, pants. He didn't wear wrestling tights. Tommy Dreamer, he wore Tommy Dreamer stuff. He's always been like this since ECW, so I considered his attire basically street fight attire. Whenever it's called for a street fight match, or when it's called for a no holes barred, or a false count anywhere, that's the time where you don't put on your wrestling gear, because you're not there to wrestle. You're there to fight someone. You're there to try to incapacitate them. Yes, you're there to win a match, but you're getting down and dirty with them. So, I like that both teams came out in street fight gear. I mean, you get that from time to time on uh, NXT. You get that from AEW from time to time whenever certain wrestlers wear street fight gear. WWE, not that much. WWE used to do that, like Edge and Shawn Michaels, whenever they had their rivalry in 2005, 6-ish, like their infamous street fight match they they had on Raw. You have both guys wearing jeans and all that type of stuff, and even later down the line. I don't know when that ended where wrestlers, whenever it's time for street fight, they don't like wear their jeans and crap like that. They just continue wearing their wrestling gear. But I would like for them to go back to wearing jeans, man. Seriously, it's a street fight. Wear the attire for a street fight because you wouldn't wear your wrestling tights in the streets. Again, that's just me. That's me nitpicking. 
but I just like that both teams uh, did that here, and I'd like to see more of that. Now, next up, we have Jonathan Gresham going against Speedball Mike Bailey. Jonathan Gresham would win the match by pinfall by hitting a shorter block on Mike Bailey. He'll cover him one time, Mike Bailey would kick out. He'll cover him a second time, Bailey would kick out. The third time he covers Bailey and he'll add more pressure onto the cover, he would then grab onto Bailey's tights to hold Bailey down to win the match. Um, solid match between Bailey and Jonathan Gresham. Every time they wrestle, it's always going to be good. This one was straight. It wasn't one of their best matches, but this match, the message behind it or the story behind it was that Jonathan Gresham is tired of people constantly cheating against him. He's tired of Impact Wrestling Management no longer doing anything whenever someone beats him and is all because of cheating. So now Jonathan Gresham has to take matters into his own hands. He's going to give people a piece of their own medicine. Speedball, he never cheated against uh, Jonathan Gresham, but when Gresham would tell Speedball about the cheatings that's going down, even whenever him and Mike Bailey were teaming together and they were in the tag team tournament and they lost to the Rascals who were cheating, he saw Mike Bailey trying to tell Jonathan Gresham, it's okay, it'll be all right, we'll get another opportunity. He wasn't really upset. But now that Jonathan Gresham beat Mike Bailey with a cheating hold by holding the tights, you saw Mike Bailey look at the referee and try to complain to referee that uh, Jonathan Gresham held on to his tights. So after this, you will see Bailey look at Jonathan Gresham and like hit the shoulder stroke and ask him, what, what was that? Jonathan Gresham will look Bailey directly in the eye, not say nothing to him, and then just leave the ring. And not turning back to look at Mike Bailey after he leaves the ring, he just continues to walk up the ramp. So again, it seems that Jonathan Gresham is on this mission to give everybody a piece of their own medicine since Impact doesn't want to basically go after people that are uh, cheaters. And I think that's what Jonathan's whole mission is for this. But we'll have to wait and see if that's the mission, but I'm pretty sure it is. Now we'll go over to our main event. Giselle Shaw with Jay Vidal and Savannah Evans in her corner going against the Knockouts champion Trinity. Trinity would win the match by submission when Jay would trip Giselle when he thought it was Trinity that he did it to. This allowed Trinity to slam Giselle's face into the mat, then lock in Starstruck to make Giselle tap out. Now, after the match, Savannah Evans and Jay Vidal would attack Trinity, and you would have Mickey James running down to the ring to make the save. Now, when Savannah and Jay are out of the ring and they're in the back, Mickey would be out here talking to Trinity, saying how proud she is, how that when Mickey was out with her injury, she got to see Trinity come in and get the glow up and become the knockouts champion and just have this resurgence in a career. And that made Mickey so proud. And Mickey's always been a defender and person that rides for Trinity. But what it all basically boils down to is that Mickey is out here as well, not just to congratulate Trinity, but also to let Trinity know that she will be getting her impact knockouts championship rematch for Bound for Glory. So we get that match being made official, and that's how Impact will end with Trinity and Mickey just looking at one another. So that's your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to SmackDown. First thing to note, they would mention that next week, the Judgment Day will be on SmackDown. And secondly, during the SmackDown program, they would 
reiterate how important the signing of Jay Cargill is and how WWE can't wait to have Jay Cargill on their show. So again, this further proves yet again why Jay Cargill is a big deal, why the signing of Jay Cargill means so much, and that WWE has a plan for Jay Cargill, whether she shows up at NXT this weekend at No Mercy, or she shows up later down the line, or she just might show up on the main roster. You never know with the new signings. Um, Jay Cargill is going to be a major player in WWE. Just to reiterate that, Jay Cargill will be a main player in WWE. Now, with that out of the way, let's start SmackDown. Jimmy Uso, Solo and Paul Heyman will come down to the ring. Paul will start off with acknowledging Roman Reigns because... Last week, Roman Reigns gave the clearance of the beatdown that happened to John Cena and AJ Styles. Paul will talk about how John isn't here at the moment because of travel issues and AJ Styles isn't here because of last week. Now, as Paul was talking, Jimmy Uso would put his hand out just like Roman Reigns for Paul to give him the microphone. Paul will look at Jimmy in shock and Jimmy would laugh at Paul and pull his hand back and he would just instead just grab the microphone away from Paul Heyman. Jimmy would be cocky and arrogant in talking about how the bloodline took care of AJ Styles last week, how they took care of John Cena last week. This will lead to Carl Anderson coming in the ring and attacking both Sol Sokoa and clotheslining Jimmy out of the ring. Now, Carl Anderson said that this was never ever supposed to happen. AJ Styles should have mind. Uh, bloodline business, but now since they took out AJ Styles, it's now OC business. And he said that he doesn't matter whether it be Jimmy or Solo, one of them better get in the ring. Solo will look like he was going to get in the ring, but Paul would whisper something into Solo's ear and tell him no. So you see Solo go over to Jimmy and tell him that he needs to handle this before he does. So Jimmy Uso will get in the ring, and now you have Jimmy going against Carl Anderson with Solo and Paul out there by uh, Jimmy's side. Jimmy would win the match by pinfall, thanks to Solo Sokoa distracting Carl Anderson when Carl would look to hit a superplex, but Solo would get on the ring apron, and Carl would look at Solo. This allowed Jimmy to rake the eyes of Carl. Jimmy would then superkick Carl and then hit him with a Uso splash for the win. Now, after the match, Carl Anderson will try to get at Jimmy Uso, but Solo will get in the ring and drop him with a Samoan spike. Now, as Jimmy and Solo would walk up the ramp, Mia Yim would come out to look after Carl, but before she goes to Carl, you will see Jimmy, like, taunt Mia. This would have Mia so upset that Mia would slap Jimmy, and Jimmy would get knocked to the floor. Jimmy Uso will feel embarrassed by this and walk to the back, and once he starts getting to the back, he will start intimidating backstage workers. And at this point, Paul Heyman would call Roman Reigns. He would do his usual stick of calling Roman. We never hear Roman. You just see that. And then they go off to something else. And throughout the night, you would see Jimmy and Solo beat up on people. They beat up on Ashanti the Adonis. They beat up on some security members backstage. It just looks like the bloodline is literally running loose since Roman Reigns isn't there. So it seems that once Roman finally comes back on SmackDown, we're probably going to get some, uh, we're probably going to get a nice little chew out from Roman to Solo and Jimmy. And personally, I want Paul to chew out Roman Reigns because you mean to tell me that you have your boy 
not be there and everything goes off the ramp and it's up to you basically to every time call Roman. Roman should have some type of order on Jimmy and Solo for them not to do this. And anytime Paul calls, Roman should be able to answer it in what say you of the case. But again, we'll have to wait and see when Roman comes back to see what type of discipline order will happen there. Now, after that be out of the way, we'll go to the Grayson Waller effect with uh, his special guest, Bobby Lashley. Grayson Waller will say that Bobby must be disappointed in the Street Profits not winning last week. Bobby will say that he thought the Profits lacked the killer instinct and that he might have been wrong about them. That's when Grayson Waller would tell Bobby that he might want a team that's undefeated like a Grayson Waller and an Austin Theory. That's when Bobby and Grayson will look at each other. Bobby would mention that he has beef with Theory. That's when he would pass on that. Then the Street Profits will come down to the ring. But they couldn't say anything because Bobby would immediately shut them down and tell them that if they want something from him, they have to prove it. Now, this will stun the Profits because they have no idea what Bobby means by that. And he would say it again. If you want something from me, you have to prove it. Now, after this, we go to our next matchup. It'll be Austin Theory with Grayson Waller in his corner going against Cameron Grimes. Dragon Lee from NXT would be at uh, ringside from the barricade watching this matchup here. And the reason why I point this out is because something happened after the match. Austin Theory will win this match by pinfall thanks to Grayson Waller distracting Cameron Grimes when Grimes and Theory will be outside of the ring. Grayson will walk up close to Grimes. Grimes will look at Grayson, tell him to mind his business. This allowed Theory to throw Cameron Grimes into the ring post. Austin Theory would then throw Grimes into the ring and hit A-Town down for the win. Now, after the match, Austin Theory will walk over to Dragon Lee and start talking trash to Dragon Lee. Dragon Lee will talk back to Austin. And then you will see Austin Theory, like, shove Dragon Lee in his face. Dragon Lee will look like he wants to get back at Austin Theory, but Austin Theory and Grayson Waller would just walk away. And later in the night, it was made official that Dragon Lee will be going against Austin Theory next week on SmackDown. So you can kind of tell they want to do something with Dragon Lee because Dragon Lee was at ringside again for the next matchup, and this will be for the United States Championship. It will be Rey Mysterio going against Santos Escobar, and Selena Vega was just around the ring supporting both of these guys since they're both in LWO. Now, Santos would lose this match, and... Santos will lose his match, in my personal opinion, because he felt for Ray because they're in a stable, as I mentioned before. Um, when he would look at the Phantom Driver on Ray Mysterio, Ray would turn it into a small package for the win. And they'll be mad multiple times throughout these matches as well that Santos was beating up on Ray, like attacking Ray's lower back. And it would just get at Santos. Santos looked like he didn't want to really hurt Ray because. They're both in a group. He has so much respect for Rey Mysterio, but Rey would just tell Santos to, come on, somebody got to be the winner here. We got to give each other the best. Like, come on, give it to me. So I just feel that Santos, he just lacked that little something. And it's also by design because that's the story that they're telling. The respect, the kinship that both of them have for each other, all that good stuff. And Rey, Rey's just old school. Rey wants you to bring it to him and not hold back. And that's the reason why Ray was able to get the win on Santos Escobar. Now, after the match, Ray Mysterio, he would go up to Santos. He would look to extend his hand out to Santos for Santos to shake it. But before Santos could shake Ray's hand, the Street Profits would appear out of nowhere and pull Ray Mysterio out of the ring. 
and then start going after Santos Escobar. Now, this would be the type of aggression that Bobby Lashley was looking for because Bobby would come out, he would clap it up and have a smile on his face for the Street Profits. You will see Joaquin Wilde and Cruz del Toro run down to the ring and try to make the save, but to no avail. Bobby Lashley, he would shoulder block Wilde, uh, Cruz, he would get beat up by the Profits. You will see Bobby throw in Wilde to the Profits and they will hit the revelation on Cruz. No, on Wild, excuse me. And they just left the LWO basically laying here. Um, later in the night, you will see the backstage in the medical room. The LWO is in there. Rey Mysterio will throw out a challenge to Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits for a six-man tag at Fastlane. More than likely, that's going to be accepted, so we will have that match added to the Fastlane pay-per-view card. Now, next up, we have Charlotte Flair going against Bailey with Io and Dakota in Bailey's corner. Before the match would even begin, Charlotte would get a microphone and say that Bailey has sunk herself to a new low because she's not the Bailey of the four horsewomen. She's now just being uh, EO's championship holder, holding the belt for EO. Charlotte would tell Bailey that after she's done with her, she's going after EO for the women's championship at Fastlane. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, Charlotte, she would win the match against Bailey by hitting Bailey with a spear. After the match, Bailey and the rest of her damage control uh, partners would surround the ring, try to get at Charlotte. But Asuka would run down to the ring, and you would see damage control retreat. Now, Asuka would get a microphone. She would talk in Japanese. Nobody would understand it. Bailey, she would tell Asuka that if Asuka wants a triple threat match at Fastlane for the Women's Championship, she's got it. So. It seems that we're getting Asuka, Charlotte, and Io for the Women's Championship at Fastlane. Io did not look too pleased by this, so we're going to get some damage control uh, segments probably next week between the two. And with those segments, I can see that being the breaking down of damage control because Io's starting to get tired of Bailey constantly speaking up on her behalf for championship matches and all that. So that's probably going to come into play next week. Now we go to our main event segment. John Cena. John Cena's here. He would come down to the ring with a contract in his hand. John will recount what happened to him last week, getting laid out by the bloodline. John will mention his match at Fastlane and how right now he doesn't have a partner. So John has to make a choice. Either he tears up the contract against the bloodline at Fastlane, or he stands and fight the bloodline at Fastlane. John will say that he is willing to fight them in a handicap match if he doesn't find a partner. That's when Jimmy Uso, Solo, and Paul Heyman will come to the ring. Jimmy will tell John that he isn't going to make it a fast lane. So that's when we see a two-on-one beatdown. Uh, the bloodline, they will beat up on John. They will look to hit a splash on John through the announce table. But LA Knight would make the save and run to the ring. Uh, LA Knight would take care of Solo Zakoa and Jimmy Uso. Then LA Knight would sign the contract to be John Cena's partner. So at Fastlane, we now have a tag team match. And we have John Cena and LA Knight going against Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa. That match should be great. That match should be telling because if Solo and Jimmy does do not win, which I don't think they're going to win, to be honest with you, we're going to get Roman Reigns popping up. And Roman Reigns is not going to be a happy camper because... Well, you got Jimmy Uso constantly trying to play boss over here, and he's going to be failing on his first, like, quote-unquote boss assignment of trying to take out John Cena in a mainstream uh, pay-per-view matchup. 
So I can see Roman basically coming back after that event. But we still got one more week to Fastlane. They still got one more SmackDown to uh, produce and make. So things could change. Things could happen. We'll have to wait and see what happens there next week on SmackDown. But with that being said, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to AEW Rampage. We will start off with the AEW's Trios Championship matchup. The Acclaim defending those titles against the Hardys and Isaiah Cassidy. The Acclaim would retain their championships by hitting the KRS-One on Isaiah Cassidy for the win. So with them retaining their Trios Championship, they now will go to Wrestle Dream and they will defend those titles against TMDK, which consists of Mikey Nichols, Shane Haste, and Bad Boy or bad dude, Tito, excuse me. Now, next up, we will have a New Japan Strong Openweight Championship matchup. Eddie Kingston defending his title against Rocky Romero. Eddie would retain his championship by submission by hitting two spinning back fists, then locking the stretch plum on Rocky Romero, and Rocky would have to tap out. Now, after the match, Rocky and Eddie would pay respect to each other by bowing to one another, and then Rocky would leave the ring. Then Shibata, who is Eddie Kingston's opponent at Wrestle Dream, would come out. Shibata would get in the ring with Eddie Kingston. They would dap up one another, then stare at each other, as this was just another way for people to get hyped up for their matchup at Wrestle Dream, where Eddie Kingston will be defending both the Ring of Honor World Championship and the New Japan Strong Openweight Championship. So Kingston's putting up both of his belts against Shibata. Now, next matchup will be a squash match. It will have The Righteous going against Caleb Crush and Gunner. The Righteous would win this match by pinfall with Vincent hitting Gunner with an acid drop off of Dutch for the win. So, The Righteous gains another victory in the win column as they go against MJF at WrestleDream 2-on-1 handicap match for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. Now, we go to the main event of Rampage. is for a number one contenders, well, championship matchup on the October 10th edition of Dynamite. Between Ruby Soho and Hikaru Shida. Hikaru Shida would win this match by pinfall by hitting Ruby Soho with the katana, which is a spinning kick to the head for the win. So now Hikaru Shida will be going against uh, Soraya for the AEW Women's Championship on a special edition of Dynamite, which will be on October 10th, which is a Tuesday. So expect that to happen now. With that being said, that's your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And before I get you guys out of here, I'm going to give you my predictions for WWE's NXT's No Mercy Premium Live event, which will be happening tonight, and also AEW's Wrestle Dream, which will be happening on a Sunday. For the NXT Heritage Cup, Noam Dar going against Butch. I think Noam Dar is going to retain the Heritage Cup. Butch is a main roster uh, talent. I don't think he's going to be on NXT that well because I don't think NXT is going to have a lot of main roster people consist there at one point, to be honest with you, because this result kind of coincides with the rest of the matches that I'm picking. For example, for the NXT Women's Championship and Extreme Rules, Becky Lynch going against Tiffany Stratton. I think Becky Lynch is going to retain her championship because having Becky down there in NXT, it gives Becky more people to mess around with. Yes, she floats over from the main roster, then down to NXT, but in NXT, she there's a lot of people she hasn't really... Uh, wrestled with yet, and also having the NXT Women's Championship, she can do what John Cena did with the United States Championship, just defend it against people that never really got a shot that much, and you can see that's what's kind of happening now, so with Becky 
beating Tiffany at No Mercy, at least in my prediction. You have Becky defending the title against uh, Tegan Knox because Tegan just beat Natalia on Monday Night Raw to declare a shot at that championship next. So again, with Becky retaining the championship, I see a lot more benefits than Tiffany like winning it back from Becky right now. Um, Dominic Mysterio going against Trick Williams for the NXT North American Championship with Dragon Lee, especially against referee. I would say we're going to have Dominic retain the title. Trick being by himself right now has been great. Trick just got added to the triple threat that made it into a fatal four-way match because everybody likes Trick. And Trick, again, he wants to prove that he's not in the shadow of Carmelo Hayes. So for him now to be going against Dom for the NXT North American Championship, it's not a bad look. But in his first championship opportunity matchup, for him to win, I wouldn't be mad at it, but I see they probably might go with Dominic, so that's the reason why I'm going with Dom. Either guy could win. I wouldn't be mad at it, but I'm thinking Dominic's going to win, to be completely honest. Uh, Braun Breaker going against Baron Corbin. I see probably Baron, because Braun, he has nothing left for him to do, and he can eat a loss to Baron. Baron can eat a loss to Braun, but I think with... Baron being down there in NXT, he's supposed to help elevate and revitalize his career also in the uh, meanwhile at the same time. So I think Baron's going to win. Again, this is another one that's a toss-up in the air because you can give it to either guy. As long as this match is filthy and dirty the way that we want it, I don't think the people is going to mind that much. But I think Baron has the most to actually gain out of this match than Braun Breaker, to be honest. For the Fatal 4-Way for the NXT Tag Team Championships, we have The Family, which consists of Tony D'Angelo and Stax, going against OTM, which is Lucian Price and Bronco Nima, going against the Creed Brothers, going against Humberto Carrillo and Angel Garza. I have The Family retaining the NXT Tag Team titles. I mean, they just won them, like, in all honesty. So, I don't think they're going to lose them just like that, to be honest. I think they're going to win it. Um, somebody, so one of the other teams probably going to hit their finish and the family's probably going to run up in there and get the windfall that way for them to retain their titles. And now give one of the tag teams in this matchup, the right to say, Hey, I didn't lose that match or Hey, we were going to win that match, but you guys snuck in there and won the titles that way. But either way, I see the family retaining their tag team titles. Then we go off to the main event. Carmelo Hayes going against Ilya Dragunov for the NXT championship. I see Carmelo Hayes retaining his championship against Ilya Dragunov. I think they're going to have one hell of a match. But I see Melo retaining the title over Ilya because I see that they might want to do something with Melo and Trick, especially if Trick is going to be doing his usual uh, special introductions for Carmelo Hayes before the matchup. Because if Trick isn't there, I can see Melo yet again feeding into his worst possible feelings and feeling that he doesn't have what it takes to beat Ilya Dragunov and then you can see Trick probably run down there and do the Adam Cole deal and be there for Melo in his uh, last stitch effort for Melo to retain the title and give Melo the confidence and then I can see Trick basically being upset with Melo because Melo wasn't there in his favor for his matchup for the North American Championship and that could just be the little breaking and tearing of Melo Trick gang. Again, nobody wants to see the tearing away of those two. We want to see both of them spread their wings and go about their business, then come back together. But again, within wrestling, you have no idea. 
Usually, stables or groups are usually do tear away. It's a rarity whenever they actually stay together and they have pleasantries with each other. But we'll have to wait and see. But with that, that is my NXT No Mercy uh, wrestling predictions. Now, moving over to AEW Wrestle Dream, we have Hangman Page going against uh, Swerve Strickland. I think Swerve needs this. Swerve's in a big, high pressure situation moment for him. I mean, he was at all in. He had a villain moment in that matchup. He was the big villain for that matchup, but he lost that. And right now, he's making Adam Page, the Hangman, prove that he actually can be the old Hangman Page, be the guy that was hungry. And I think we're going to get that from Hangman Page. But Swerve, I feel he needs to win this one. He is the big villain. He is the villain that people want him to be. And I think with him winning, I think it could catapult him into a top card spot the way that he's getting a top card spot against Heyman Page now. So I have Swerve winning this. FTR going against Ozzy Open for the AEW Tag Team titles. I have Ozzy Open winning this because then it would just be a rubber match between FTR and Ozzy Open because right now this is their second match between the two. FTR beat them last year at WrestleQuest over in New Japan and England. So I see Ozzy Open basically taking this from FTR. So then we can have our uh, third match, the rubber match, somewhere down the line. So Ozzy Open winning the AEW Tag Team titles here. MGF going against the Righteous in a handicap match for the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. You know what? I'm going with MJF here. Why am I going with MJF? Because I think somebody's going to come out there and be a tag partner MGF. MGF might be... Resistant to it, but him getting beat up so much, I think he might actually take the offer after knowing that he got beaten up so much. So I have MGF winning. Who's going to be his tag partner? I have no idea at all, but I see MGF retaining it. Um, Six-man tag, Chris Jericho and the Golden Elite, which is Kenny Omega and Cody Ibushi going against the Don Callis family, which consists of Konosuke Takeshita, Sammy Guevara, Will Ospreay. I think the Don Callis family is taking this. Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, they have not fared well against uh, Takeshita and Will Ospreay, and now just added Sammy Guevara to this group. Again, you're making this group a bigger faction. You're making this group a bigger uh, focal point in AEW. Like, what other better way for the Dark House family to be the top faction in your company than to beat your two former AEW world champions and also the tag partner of Kenny Omega. What other best way to establish your top group than by doing that? So Don Cal's family, I have a feeling it's taking this. Christian Cage, Darby Allen, two out of three falls for the AEW TNT Championship. I'm going with Christian. Christian is doing great evil work. So for Christian to retain the title, that'll be great. And we get to continue seeing Christian just be more of a villain. Eddie Kingston going to Shibata for the Ring of Honor World Championship and the Strong Openweight Championship. Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston just won the Ring of Honor Championship. They're not having him drop that, so I don't think I need to go into much detail about that. Fatal 4-Way for a future AEW World Tag Team Championship opportunity. The Young Bucks, the Guns, Lucha Brothers, Orange Cassidy, and Hook. I'm going with Orange Cassidy and Hook. I think this is a way to help get Hook more on TV, for him to get more reps on TV. And Arch Cassidy, he just had a great match at the last pay-per-view, all out against John Moxley. He's been taking it easy. I think for him to get back on pay-per-view 
and have him and Hook win, I think it'll be great. And also, I want some dissension between the best friends and Orange Cassidy. I want Chuck Taylor and Trip Redder to feel some type of way against Orange Cassidy. Al Cassidy keep on getting these opportunities while they're just be fed the scraps. I want that because best friends, they should be or should have been tag team champions, especially after they went against Santana and Ortiz and that parking lot brawl during the pandemic. They should have been like one of the front runners to be tag team champions, but we didn't get that. So with Orange Cassidy and Hook winning this matchup, you can see there started to be some breakdown, especially with Trent kind of being the hothead out of him and Chuck Taylor. So that's my opinion on that. Orange Cassidy and Hook winning this match. Ricky Starks going against Utah. Ricky Starks. I'm not going into detail about that. It's Ricky Starks. Now, I feel this is going to be the main event of the show. Brian Danielson going against Zack Sabre Jr., since we're in Brian Danielson's retirement run, since this is his last like official full like year of being a full-time wrestler, I think Brian Danielson is going to beat Zack Sabre Jr. I think they're going to have a technical clinic of a match. But Brian Danielson, I feel that he's going to win. If not, and they have Zack Sabre Jr. win, I think that will be great because Zack Sabre Jr. will have that on his resume that he beat Brian Danielson. So either person wins this, I'll be great with it. But In my opinion, I think they're going to go with Brian Danielson. Now, with all the predictions out of the way, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by Gigi. If you did not listen to my midweek episode, go and listen to that now. I think you'll have a nice, good time listening to it. I think you'll enjoy it. Also, I will have a Sunday episode, as usual, coming out tomorrow, where I talk about the things that's been going on in the news this past week. And for the reviews of WWE's NXT uh, pay-per-view and AEW's Wrestle Dream. I will be giving you my review of both of those shows on Monday. So expect that episode to come out on Monday. Now, with that being said, I love you all. I thank you. Please have a great Saturday. Please have a great weekend. I hope you guys listen to my Sunday episode tomorrow. But if not, I'll be back again with the Wrestling Highlights of the Week next Saturday. I want you guys all to be blessed and have a good day. Hey, hey, hey.